that they should not go back the same way they came. So they go the long way around. They avoid Herod. Herod, when he figures out that he was mocked of the wise men, verse 16, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children. Now, this is irrational uh, because the females were not, would not have been involved, but he had them all killed, all the kids, boys or girls. They were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Remember, he said, when did the star appear? So this question, now you know why that question was asked. And in Ramah, uh, it was spoken of by Jeremy the prophet. In Ramah, there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. So the enemies were already active. So we see Herod as the enemy of the Christ child and trying to kill him. Uh, he wasn't interested in worshiping him. He wanted to hope those wise men would come back and say he's at 415 Sunshine Boulevard and he'd send his army down there and, and burn the house and kill everybody in it and get rid of the Christ child. At least that's what Herod thought he would do, but he wasn't able to do that. Look at verse 19. But when Herod was dead, ah, the enemies are gone. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Rise, take the young child, his mother, and go in the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. He arose, took the young child and his mother, came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside to the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken uh, by the prophets. He should be called a Nazarene. So the enemies are already active. They're already plotting and planning to kill the Christ child as soon as they get the opportunity to do so. Chapter number 4, verse 1. We're just looking at the enemies gathering up. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I mean, this is nonstop. Bam, 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 bam. I know there's years that pass in here, but uh, things are, are just going on one after another. All through the Gospels, we see Jesus in combat with the Jewish Sanhedrin. The, the Sadducees were liberals. They didn't believe in angels or spirits. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They were just liberal. Didn't believe anything, but they were in control of the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees would have been the legalists of the day. They believed everything in the Bible, but they were not in control. But they were, uh, you had to be one of them if you were going to go to heaven. That's the way they looked at things. And so Jesus is in combat with these folks and the scribes, the lawyers, all the way through the Gospels. And so it's not anything new when you and I find ourselves on the short end of the stick with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees of our day. It's a sad day when you have churches that will support some of the things that we've seen done in our country. Uh, beer and Bible study for men. Uh, that's a common thread you hear nowadays. And uh, we're not ever going to do that here. We might do root beer, but we're not doing any uh, Bud and, and Budweiser or, or whatever else there might be. We're not going to do that and have a men's Bible study. I can, I can promise you that. But as soon as Jesus is born, Satan tried to kill him. 
When you get over in the book of Revelation, you read about the woman having the child, and as soon as she's birthed of the child, what the serpent tried to swallow him up. That's what we have seen all the way through the scriptures, Satan at war uh, with Jesus, uh, trying to do away with him. And the only reason you and I get caught in, in the middle is because he can't get at God, so he shoots at us instead of shooting at God, so to speak, and uh, that's, that's how the attacks go, and and you and I pay a price for honoring God. He's worthy. It's worth whatever price you have to pay to, to honor the Lord, that's for sure. Second thing I want you to see in this section of Scripture is God's plan. Uh, the enemies have gathered, and they're going to they're attack and attack and attack. Uh, remember, they wanted to throw Jesus. Uh, they took him out of synagogue one time, going to throw him off a hill because he healed somebody, all those kinds of things. And Jesus just made himself disappeared, passed among them. God's got a plan. The enemies were concocting their plan. What they were, they were doing theirs off the seat of their pants. God has a plan that reaches back before the foundation of the worlds were laid. And notice what he says to Joseph. Fear not. Fear not. How many of y'all have been afraid in the last month? I have. I've had some fears. Uh, we're not supposed to, but we're human. Uh, I, I watched with some measure of, of awe. I'm, try, I'm trying to think of the words to, to say of the woman who said she felt like she should have been born blind. And because of that, she finally just blinded herself and said, now she feels whole. What kind of world do we live in when people do that and consider that to be normal or sane in any shape, form, or fashion? That's the world in which we live. And the truth that you and I preach, the things that you and I believe, is going to put us in direct contradiction to that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that type of thinking we're already on the wrong end of the, the stick as far as the federal government's concerned about people deciding what gender they want to be. And uh, we're, we can't bend on that. We don't have, you know, I don't have an option. I'm not looking for an option. And I want to love our young folks enough to tell them the truth so they can make the right decisions, you know, with, with uh, truth instead of being swayed by some educator who tells them it's all right, just decide what you want to be. You don't have to tell mom and dad, well, that's as wicked and vile as it can possibly be. But that's the world in which we live. Now, I don't think that's happening right here in Tipton County, but uh, if, if it's happening in other places, it'll get here. It'll get here. You just wait and see. And because we're on the other side of that, we preach absolute moral truth. And when we preach uh, absolute moral truth... Then, then we are automatically opposed to these postmodernists who decide, well, I want to be this today and that tomorrow, and I'm going to change what this word means. Whoever heard of a word misgender? You can misgender somebody. That means if they want to be a woman, but they're dressed like I am and they sound like me, and you call them a man, you have misgendered them. And uh, I'm sorry, you know, if that's misgendering you, I guess I'm going to be guilty of a lot of misgendering. But we're creating words out of whole cloth, creating social constructs. 
that have no basis in reality, and it is diametrically opposed to everything that you and I believe. But God's got a plan, and his plan is, fear not, Joseph. You can just go right ahead on and marry this young lady. I got this thing. You don't have to worry. And notice Joseph, his unquestioning obedience. Look in verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did his angel Lord bidden to him and took uh, unto him his wife. Can I just draw a little parallel? And, and I, I just want to show you a little difference. I'm not picking on one or the other. When Mary was told she's going to have a baby, she said, how can this be seeing I know not a man? You know, she's amazed. And she's talking this thing out with the angel. Joseph seemingly just says, yes, sir. He doesn't talk anything out. He just, the, what the angel said, this way it's going to be. And Joseph just said, fine, that's the way it'll be. And I believe Mary was trusting God as well. She had a bigger hurdle to jump, if you don't mind me putting it in that terminology, than perhaps Joseph did. Uh, Joseph could see that she was pregnant, but Mary had to be the one to accept on the first side that she was going to be carrying the, the Messiah in her womb. So Joseph had unquestioning obedience. We don't see a place here in the scripture at all where uh, he tried to uh, reason this out and, and outguess God. Second thing, it included, this God's plan included courage. It also included a promise. Look in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son. Remember, they didn't have any ultrasounds in those days. And so they had to go by the old wives' tales. Well, if that baby's hanging low, you know, it's going to be a boy. If it's up high, it's going to be a girl. If it's this way, that way. And maybe some lady folks could figure that out better than me. But Joseph didn't have to guess, and neither did Mary. They're going to have a little boy. Uh, somebody said Mary had a little lamb. She certainly did. She had a son. Uh, the promise is you're gonna, you, you already know what he's, you're going to name him. Don't have to debate about that. His name is going to be Jesus. Right there in verse number 21. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he's got a purpose. And his purpose is he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, I didn't bother to dig out the preposition uh, fresh tonight, but working from memory there in, in verse number 21, from their sins, the, the word from is a preposition that involves the idea of away from. Uh, not just that you'll be saved from their presence or their, their penalty or their power, but that you'll be taken away from those. God never saves anybody that he doesn't change. Now the rate of change for individuals varies. Uh, on mental acuity, uh, how hard they work at it, how much uh, gospel they're exposed to. Uh, I got a, a missionary friend. He's a, been a missionary up in Canada for about 40 years. And he said, I, he said, I got saved in a liberal Baptist church. He said, I'm convinced my pastor preached the gospel by mistake because he'd never done it before. And he said, he said I, I got saved right where I was standing. And he said, I went up front to tell the pastor what had happened. And he said, the pastor kind of held him at arm's length. Do you want to get rededicated? Do you want to join the church? What, what is it you're wanting to do? He said, I finally grabbed him and hugged him real big and told him I'd got saved. And he said, it just blew the pastor's mind. Well, if you got saved in a situation like that, and if you kept attending that church, you'd grow very little. You grow very, very sporadically because why? You're not getting good food. 
And if we're going to grow spiritually, we've got to have a, a what is that, that old hillbilly song, an actual heap and helping of, you know, of good old hospitality. We need a heap and helping of, of uh, Christianity. So God's plan included courage. Don't worry, Joseph. Just do what I tell you to do. It included a promise. You're going to have a boy, Joseph, and he's going to be named Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. The third thing it included was a prophecy. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter number 7. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. This, this text of Scripture, Isaiah is talking to King Ahaz. And he told King Ahaz, don't count on the Assyrians to deliver you. You need to count on God. And Ahaz didn't want to count on God for anything. And so Ahaz said, I will not ask, verse 12, neither will I tempt the Lord. In other words, he said, I'm not looking for God to give me an answer of any kind. That's really what he's saying. And Isaiah, he said, hear, hear you now, house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Look over in chapter 9. Isaiah chapter number 9, verse number 6. For unto us a child is born. There's your virgin birth. Unto us a son is given. There's the crucifixion. And the government shall be on his shoulder. There's the... Uh, the second coming of Christ, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now back to Matthew chapter number one, the prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall be with with child. Those who have tried to deny that this is a virgin birth use the word Alma over in the Old Testament and say it just means a young woman. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, a young woman conceiving a child's miraculous to me uh, because it doesn't happen every time there is interaction, intimate action between a husband and a wife. God has to give life, according to Ezekiel chapter 16. <coughs> and the very fact that those two little seeds come together and that uh, zygote, as they call it, that fertilized egg makes that little uh, journey and implants itself properly and, and begins to grow and, and develop, that's miraculous to me. Even that's miraculous. But it is pretty common. I mean, every one of you ladies here had a baby, or at least know somebody who did have a baby. And that's the common process that God uses to bring people into this world. So what would be the outstanding thing? Behold, a young lady's going to have a baby. Okay, that happens about, you know, three million times a year, maybe five million times a year. Uh, that wouldn't bring any real excitement, any real focus. But when you say a virgin, when you say an untouched young lady, one who's never been sexually with a man, 
and she's going to have a baby. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And so there's a prophecy, behold, a virgin shall conceive. So we have virgin in Isaiah. We have in Isaiah chapter 9, a child is, is born. Chapter 21 over here in uh, verse, excuse me, verse 23 in chapter 1 of Matthew, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel. So the prophecy is that a virgin would have a baby and uh, you know we don't have to wait till Christmas time to preach on the virgin birth. It's a reality. And then that name, Emmanuel, it's with an I in the Old Testament, with an E here, it doesn't make any difference. God with us. We're going to come back to that thought in just a moment. Might we also say, not just God with us, but God for us? He showed up down here to say, I'm on your side. I'm here to save you. It included a guarantee. Look in verse number 20. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. God is in control of this situation. Now, verse 21. The Savior. The Savior. Thou shalt... Bring forth, she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. The age-old problem between men and God is our sin. In the Garden of Eden, when God first made man and woman, they had fellowship every afternoon in the cool of the day, the Bible says. God came walking, and they were used to that. They, they knew that that's what he did. Uh, there was no breach of fellowship. It was completely open and, and clear between them. Uh, the Bible indicates, uh, plainly states really, that Adam and his wife were both naked and, and didn't know it because there was no impropriety of any kind. No lust existed. It was a, a state of total innocence. And they enjoyed open, sweet fellowship with God you can go back to the nursery sometime, and if you had three or four little bitty ones, and if they could get out of their diapers, they'll take them off and run around just as naked as the day they were born, and it doesn't bother them. You know why? They're innocent. They just enjoy being free and, and wild and, and jumping and loose. They, you know, and we don't let that happen, by the way, in the nursery. I'm just giving a, 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 an illustration of what could take place. Uh, my son, one time, we had just got him potty trained, and we had some missionaries over at the house who couldn't have kids. And Shane had gone to the bathroom, and he came out of the bathroom with his underwear in his hand going, yee Made a big loop around the living room and down the hall. Of course, Ouija lit out after him. Poor missionaries were just, I guess they were glad they never had kids after that. But we understand the difference between innocence and corruption. Babies are innocent little things. But we still got this thing called sin that's between us. And as soon as a child gets old enough, they'll let you know they're a sinner. They'll start trying to exercise their will. They'll try to push you to obey them instead of you leading and guiding them. 
And the older we get, the worse sin really gets. It's been the biggest problem between men and God. But Emmanuel showed up down here to take, take care of this situation. He came looking in the, in the garden in the cool of the day, and now for these 2,000 years he's been looking for sinners when the gospel's preached. There's some things we're not saved from. The Bible says, Yea, that all that will live godly uh, shall suffer persecution. Uh, we're not going to be saved from sorrow. You know, we were praying for Nathaniel Andrew. He's having a rough time. You stop and think, a young man, 24 years old, been used to coon hunting and fishing and all that stuff, and he's greatly restricted right now, greatly restricted. That's sorrow. That's sorrow. Trials. Uh, we all go through difficulties in our life. We want to make sure that, that we don't... Uh, overemphasize the difficulties of life. The Bible talks about manifold temptations. It means a lot of them and different kinds. Uh, if you're raising kids or grandkids, you know what I'm talking about. You got burdens. You're concerned about them. When your kids first start driving, all you can do is stay awake till they get home. You tell them you got to be home by 11 o'clock. Boy, if it's 11.02 and they're not there at the house, you're sweating bullets and, you know, and they pull up. You, you know what I'm talking about. You're, you're worried. You're concerned. Pressures. We're not saved from those things. Salvation hasn't got anything to do with eradicating that type of a, an event in your life and in mine. We're going to have sorrows. I buried my mom on the, you know, my mom died on Zachary's birthday. I've tried to get him to look at it as, hey, this is the day mama got promoted to heaven. Don't look at it as a negative. But I'm sure it, it weighs on him. So we're not saved from sorrow or trials, and we're not saved from conflicts either. It'd be nice if all of God's people got along 100% of the time, and when they didn't, 100% of the time they'd be willing to try to reconcile and get it fixed, but that doesn't happen either. But we're saved from our sins. We're saved from our sins. His presence, Jesus and Emmanuel, Jesus is his office. He's the Savior. His nature is that he's God in flesh, Emmanuel. Let me read you this quote. It, it really struck me. Emmanuel, a declaration that God has entered our realm and that we must reckon with him. Herbert Lockyer is one of my favorite writers. He's got a series of books called All in All the things in the Bible, all the miracles, all the prayers, kings, queens, all that stuff. It's 20 volumes or so. But I've got two books by him, a two-volume set, The Man Who Changed the World. And it's how Christ has impacted every major political or historical figure all the way back from biblical times forward. And he has. Julian the Apostate, he was uh, claimed to be a Christian. When he ascended the Roman throne, he tried to wipe out Christianity. And when he died, he died cursing God, said, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean. Listen, Jesus has made an impact on every major political leader. Napoleon said, I know men. And Jesus is not a man. He's much more than a man. You can just find out political leader after political leader. 
Jesus has impacted the world. Out of all the thousands of Jews that were nailed to crosses, how is it we only know the name of one? Just one. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He's Emmanuel, God with us and God for us. He saved us from our sins. Romans chapter 6. We'll get over there and look at a couple of things. Who we are in Christ sometimes escapes us. I preached along these lines on Sunday that it's important for us to make a distinction between sanctification and salvation. I'm 100% saved. The moment I trusted Christ, I was as saved as I would ever be. You don't get more saved than saved. You don't get more born again than being born again. In sanctification, I've always got room for growth. I got zero room for growth in salvation. I'm everything and so are you that God says you are. I'm complete in Christ. I don't have to figure that out. It just is. I'm justified. That means set free from sin. All those are great truths. Now, Romans chapter number 6, verse 11. Likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. It's not going to rule and reign over me. For you're not under the law, but under grace. He saved us from our sins. From the guilt of my sin, he has washed me in his blood. I should not ever feel guilty about my sin again. Now, if I commit a fresh one, that's something different. But the guilt of sin's been done away. And if I commit a fresh sin and I confess that sin, it's over. It's done with. If God forgives you and you still feel guilty and you ask Him to forgive you again, do you think you're getting a second dose? Our weak conscience sometimes causes us to confess the same sin over and over and over and over because we don't ever get the, the release of our spirit like we really need and it's because we've confused being saved with our sanctification. Sanctification is an ongoing process where I'm growing. Salvation is settled forever. If I die now, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to second class heaven or third class heaven. I'm going first class. And so are you. Saved from the guilt, washed in his blood. Saved from the dominion of sin. We just read it there in the Bible. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It means it's not going to rule and reign over you. Now, do some Christians cave in to sin? Sure they do. But it's, it's them choosing to go that direction. It's not because they have to. No, sin shall not have dominion over you. Saved from our sins, from the guilt washed in his blood, from the dominion of sin, from the presence, and I added this word to it. We could make them two separate statements, but from the presence and power of sin. Sin has a great power. 
It mars us. It, it hurts us. It hinders us. It robs us of our spiritual strength. But we've been saved from the presence and the power of sin. We do not have to wallow in our sin. But pastor, 10 years ago I committed this sin. It was, it was grossly immoral. And, hey, under the blood, it's under the blood. If you've confessed, it's under the blood. And you don't have to wallow in those things back then. Can't go back and undo them. You can't undo a single sin you've done. Once you've confessed it to God, and if you need to confess to somebody else, that's another thing. But once you've confessed your sin to God and you've been forgiven, don't let the devil drag you back where you used to be. That's not me anymore. That was me, but this, you know, I've, I've been set free from that. And so have you. If you never read Pilgrim's Progress, you ought to read it sometime. You can get the modern English version if you just can't stand to read the old style. But in that, uh, Christian falls into that slew of despond. And he wallows around there a while. And a lot of Christians, that's as far as they get. They get stuck in that mud and just seemingly can't get loose. We've been saved from all the consequences of sin when we receive our glorified body. All the consequences of sin are going to be absolutely eradicated. I don't know what we're going to look like in heaven, but you'll be a perfect, whatever you are, of you. Any marring that sin's put upon us should be totally done away with. I don't think we'll have any scars on our bodies in heaven. There's going to be one person up there that I'm convinced will have marks on his body, and it's going to be the Son of God. Revelation chapter number 5, John said, I beheld a lamb as it had been slain. We'll see the marks on Christ. Remember what he told Thomas? Put your finger in the nail prints of my hand, thrust your hand in my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And that's the post-resurrection Christ. So those marks were still there. But old Thomas did what? Fell at his feet, said, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said this, blessed art thou, but you've seen, and therefore you believe, blessed, more blessed are those who believe who've not yet seen, but we will see. We're, gonna, we're saved from all the consequences of sin to be culminated when we get our glorified body. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this little moment with Matthew. In Christ's name we pray, amen.